Myth 1. The Creation of Life The responsibility for the creation of the world varies within the corpus of the Australian myth. In some myths, the creator is the rainbow serpent, while in others it is the god Bayami. In this first myth, Bayami passes the responsibility for creating life to Yi, the sun goddess, who is not herself created but exists in a kind of suspended animation until awoken by Bayami. Except for the plants, which Yi calls into existence by walking across a barren world, all living things are brought forth from caves under the ground. At the very beginning of the world, everything lay under a blanket of darkness. Darkness enveloped the plains and the mountains. Nothing stirred, nothing moved, not even the tiniest breath of wind. There was no sound and no light, only darkness and silence and waiting. In a place far, far beyond the earth, Yi slept. The sun goddess slept in the darkness. Like the earth, she waited in darkness and silence. Out of the darkness and silence came Bayami. He went to Yi and whispered in her ear, Yi, awake! The world is ready to have life. You must awake. Yi heard the whisper of Bayami, and she awoke. When she opened her eyes, the whole world was flooded with light. Yi could see the mountains and the plains, and her breath stirred the still air, making the first breezes blow. Yi began her walk on the Nullarbor Plain, and wherever she went, plants of all kinds began to grow. As she walked, grasses and flowers, trees and shrubs all sprang up, and soon the plains and the mountains were full of green and growing things, and many colored flowers glowed among the greenery. When the plants of all kinds were growing everywhere, Yi rested, and after she had been resting for a while, Bayami again spoke to her. Yi, the world needs yet more life. Go under the earth, go deep into the caverns under the ground, and see what life may be created there. Yi heeded the call of Bayami. She went into the caverns under the earth. The spirits who lived there cried out at the flood of light Yi brought into their domain. Why are you here? they cried. Leave us in peace. Leave us our darkness and let us sleep. The voices of the underground spirits did not deter Yi. She walked through all the underground caverns, and wherever she went, a myriad of insects came forth. Creeping insects, flying insects, insects with many colored bodies and many colored wings all came skittering and chittering out of the darkness of the caves. Then they went above ground to live among the plants that Yi had created. When Yi was done calling forth the insects, she left the caverns beneath the ground leaving the spirits to their darkness, and then she went home and rested for a time. After her rest, Yi again went forth. She went into another deep, dark cave, one that was full of ice. Yi's warmth and light melted the ice, and from this cave came snakes and lizards that slithered and crawled up to the surface to live among the plants and insects there. The melted ice flowed out of the cave in a mighty rush. It became a river flowing peacefully across the land, and the river was full of all manner of fish. When Yi saw that the snakes and lizards and fish were settled in their new homes, she went back into the cavern again. The reptiles and insects watched her create yet more life. In this cavern, Yi found things with feathers and things with fur. Soon birds of all kinds were flying out of the cavern to join Yi's other creatures, and animals of all kinds ran out into the new world with them. Bayami looked at all that Yi had created and was pleased. You have brought life to my world, he said. Everything you have made is very, very good.
Yi then gathered all the living things together and explained that there would be different seasons. There would be seasons that were colder and seasons that were hotter, and they would follow one another by turns. She also explained that soon light and darkness would follow one another, just as hot and cold would. Yi said to her creations, My work here is done. I must go and live in the sky now. I will still give you light and warmth and life, but I must do it from far away. Then Yi rose up into the sky, where she became a bright ball of light. She went into the western sky, where she began to walk down toward the horizon. As she walked down, her color changed and her light began to dim. Soon Yi had gone all the way down below the horizon, and darkness fell upon the earth. All the creatures were afraid. Yi, come back, they cried. Do not leave us here in the darkness. The creatures need not have worried. After a period of darkness, the eastern horizon began to glow with light. It was Yi, who was returning to look upon her creation. She rose up above the land and began her walk across the sky as the birds sang welcoming songs to the dawn. Now the world had both day and night, and the days and nights could be counted. When Yi sank down below the horizon at the end of that first day, the creatures were again dismayed. Yi heard their distress and took pity on them. Yi made the morning star and sent Balu, the moon, to live in the sky with the morning star as her husband. And so the morning star and the moon shine when Yi has gone to her rest, so that the creatures know that Yi cares for them and will return at the start of a new day. Myth 2. Punjo, the Creator Punjo is a creator god revered by indigenous peoples in the state of Victoria. One of his distinguishing characteristics is the large knife that he carries with him, with which he does some of his work of creation. Punjel is not alone in creating the world, however. He has a brother named Palion, also spelled as Palion, who discovers the first women in the mud of a pond. As with the myths of many cultures around the world, those concerning Punjel also explain the problem of good and evil and how the coming of evil affects the structure of the universe. Here, the wicked do not suffer death, but rather are removed from the place where they were living and then scattered throughout the broader world. Punjel it was who created the whole world. And when the world was made, Punjel thought that it might be good to make some people to live in it. He thought for a while about how he might go about doing this. And when his plan was made, he took his big knife and went out looking for some tree bark. When he found some bark of the right kind, he cut some off the tree. Then he went looking for some clay. Soon, he found all the clay he needed. When Punjel had all the things he needed to make people, he took some of the clay and put it into one piece of the bark. He worked the clay until it was just the right consistency. Then he split the clay into two pieces and put one piece of clay into each piece of bark. Punjil began to shape each bit of clay into a man. He started by making the feet, then the legs, then the body. Punjil kept working until his clay men were completely formed. Once the men were made, Punjil looked at them and saw that they were very good. Punjil put the pieces of bark that held the clay men in them onto the ground, and he danced all around them. Punjil then looked again at the men he had made and saw that they needed hair. So he went and cut some bark from a different tree and made it into hair for the clay men. To one man, he gave straight hair, and to the other, he gave curly hair. This also was very good and it delighted Punjal so that he danced around the clay men once again. When that was done, 
Hoongel again went over the bodies and made sure that the clay was in just the right shape to be a man. Then he went and breathed into each clay figure, first into their mouths, then into their noses, then into their navels. He breathed very hard into the clay men, and they came alive and took breaths of their own. Hoongel saw that the clay men had become living creatures, and so he danced around them again. Then Punjal gave each man the ability to move and taught them how to speak. And that was how the first men were made, back in the dream time. Now Punjal had a brother named Palion, and Palion was the ruler over all the waters. He liked nothing better than to wade in the streams and in the surf, or to dive down to the bottom of lakes and of the ocean. One day, Palion was paddling about in a pond and delighting in the movement and sound of the water and his play stirred up a great quantity of mud. Soon the mud was so thick in the water that Pelion could no longer see through it. Even with the thickness of the mud in the water, Pelion caught a glimpse of something as he continued his play. He looked closer and saw what looked a bit like the hand of one of the men Punjil had made. Pelion made a hook out of a twig and fished about in the water. He pushed the water aside and saw that there were two figures in the mud of the pond they looked almost the same as the men Punjil had made. They had heads and arms, bodies and legs, but they weren't exactly like Punjil's clay men. Pelion had found the first women, who had been made by his play in the waters of the pond. Pelion brought the women to Punjil, who was very pleased with them. He gave one woman to each man and then began to teach them how to live. Punjil gave each man a spear, and to each woman he gave a digging stick. He taught the men how to hunt, and the women how to dig for yams and other good things to eat. Punjel and Palian taught the women and men how to live for three more days. At the end of the third day, they all sat down together, and when they were seated, a great wind blew up. The wind blew and blew, and a great storm began. The wind and the storm took Punjel and Palian away up into the heavens, and that is where they stayed. Now, after Punjel and Palian went away, the men and women lived together and had many children. And their children had children, and their grandchildren had children, and soon there were many people indeed. For a long time, the people lived well and behaved well, but there came a time when many of the people became wicked and delighted in doing bad things. Punjil saw what the wicked people were doing, and it made him very angry. Punjil went down to the earth and caused a great whirlwind to blow. The wind blew and blew, and as it blew, Punjil went among the wicked people with his big knife and cut the people into little pieces. As each piece hit the ground, it began to riot the way a worm does. Once all the bad people had been cut into pieces, the whirlwind picked them up and blew them away. Punjil made the wind blow all the pieces far away and dropped them in places all over the world. The people who had been good, Punjil picked up and placed in the heavens, where they became stars. And this is how the whole world came to have people in it, and how the sky came to have stars. Myth 3. The Wawalak Sisters The rainbow serpent appears as a creator being in myths across many Australian cultures. The cycle of myths that contains the story of the Wawalak Sisters combines the creative force of the rainbow serpent with that of the Jangawal, a brother and two sisters who were revered by the Yungu people of Arnhem Land in the Northern Territory as creators of the landscape and plants of Australia, as well as the ancestors of the people of the Dua clans. By the time the story of the Wawalak sisters takes place, 
the world has already been made and peopled. The sisters' act of creation is located instead in the names of the plants, animals, and places that the sisters discover on their travels, and also in their gift of songs, dances, and ceremonies to the Dua clans, whose totem is the serpent. Long, long ago, far back in the dream time, your Lunger, the rainbow serpent, created the world. And when he was done creating, he went to dwell at the bottom of a deep water hole in the place where the Leagalawamiri people live. That water hole is filled by springs that come from the very center of the earth itself. All around the hole, there were many plants and animals, although in those days they looked and moved and lived like people. While in the waters with Yerlunger, there dwelt many different kinds of spirits. There were no people yet, far back in the Dreamtime, until a brother and his sisters came in a canoe to the eastern shore of the land. They had fled their own country because the brother had slept with the sisters, which was a crime in the eyes of Yerlunger. The descendants of the brother and the sisters settled along the coast, moving southward as their families grew and flourished. Now, among these descendants were two sisters, named Garangal and Boilir. Garangal had a small baby, but Boilir had not yet found a man she liked well enough to give her a child of her own. The sisters lived peacefully and well with their people, gathering food and water, as well as giving names to the creatures and plants they found in the land about them. One day, a man approached Boilir and said, I would like to talk to you. Will you come with me? Boilir wasn't sure she wanted to go with him. In their tribe, Boilir and the man were considered relatives of a sort because they had the same totem. If it turned out he wanted to lie with her, they would be committing incest, and that would bring about grave consequences. For many days, the man persisted. For many days, Boilir looked upon him, not knowing what she wanted to do. But she did know that he was handsome and kind, so she finally gave in and went into the bush with him. Many days passed. Boilir realized that she was with child. She told her sister what she had done, and Garangle said, Oh no, we mustn't stay here. If people find out what you did, they will punish you. We need to leave at once. Boilir knew her sister was right. She agreed to leave with Garangle as soon as everyone else was asleep. In the dead of night, Garangle wrapped her son warmly in paper bark. Then the women gathered up their things and slipped into the bush and headed to the north, without telling anyone where they were going or why. Traveling turned out to be a very pleasant adventure. The women saw many new lands and many new plants, birds, and animals. They gave names to every one of these. They found plenty of food and water, and they rested often because Garangle had to stop and nurse her son when he got hungry. Finally, the women arrived at the water hole where Yulunger lived. They stopped to make camp like they always had, but Boalir knew something was different. Her belly had grown and grown during her travels with her sister, and now she knew that the child would soon be born. When Boilier's pains began, Garangle helped her. After much effort, Boilier delivered a beautiful boy. Knowing that Boilier needed to rest, Garangle went into the bush to find food. She caught a bandicoot and some grubs, and when she returned to the camp, she made a fire and began to cook a meal. But no sooner had the bandicoot been placed over the fire to cook then it came back to life and went running to the waterhole, where it jumped in and disappeared below the surface. Garangle thought this very strange, but she knew there were still the grubs to be eaten. But when she turned to her dilly bag to get them out, she saw them inching along in a line, making straight for the water just as the bandicoot had done. 
Instead of trying to recapture the grubs, Garango watched them until they reached the water, where they jumped in and disappeared below the surface. Well, those were animals, said Garangle to herself. I can always cook some plants. Those won't go anywhere. Garangle got out the yams she had collected and began to cook them. But no sooner had the heat of the fire touched the skins of the yam than they too went wriggling away and then dove into the watering hole, just as the bandicoot and the grubs had done. That was very odd indeed, thought Garangle. I wonder what would happen if I gathered some paper bark. Boalir will need it to wrap her child in. Garangle went to the water hole. She got into the lovely clear water and began to swim to the other side where there were many paper bark trees. Unbeknownst to Garangle, she had started her time of the month and some of her menstrual blood mixed with the water as she swam along. Now, the water here was also the home of Yerlunger, and he had awakened when he heard the voices of the women and the cries of their babies. He didn't think too much of it at first, but when he smelled Garangle's blood, he became very angry that she had fouled his pool in that way. He rose up out of the pool, taking a great mouthful of the tainted water as he went. When he broke the surface, he stretched his body up toward the sky, and he sped out the mouthful of water. The water turned into rain clouds, and soon a great torrent of rain began to fall. The women watched in horror as the great serpent stretched its length high above them, and they scrambled to make a shelter for themselves and their babies as the rain came down. This is no ordinary storm, said Boilier. I will sing to make it stop. Boilier took her singing sticks and went out into the pouring rain. She began singing her power song and dancing her sacred dance. But no matter how well she sang and how well she danced, she could do nothing to stop the rain. Moreover, dancing and singing so soon after giving birth made Boilier bleed again and your lunger smelled that blood too. Enraged, the huge snake coiled itself around the women's camp. It paused a moment and listened to the words of Boilier's song, a power song of the people of the serpent totem. Your lunger knew that it would be wrong to harm the women and their children because they had the same totem as himself, but he was so angry that he ignored that important custom. He pushed aside the women's shelter, then swallowed the babies and their mothers whole. Then he stretched his body up toward the sky once more. Other totemic serpents saw Yerlunger stretching himself up toward the sky. They decided to join him and ask what he had been doing. One serpent said, Is that you that made this rain, Yerlunger? Yes, indeed, it is I that made this rain, replied the great serpent. Then another snake noticed that Yerlunger's body was distended from having eaten the women and their babies. What have you been eating? asked the snake. Oh, nothing really, said Yerlunger, who was now feeling guilty that he had violated an important custom and was worrying about what the other snakes would say. That's an awfully large nothing, said a third snake. Come now, tell us the truth. What did you eat? Yerlunger hesitated. Yet another snake insisted that he tell them what he had eaten. Finally, after all the snakes had demanded that Yerlunger tell them what was in his belly, the great snake said, Fine, I'll tell you. I ate those women and their babies, the ones that were camped near my waterhole. The other snakes stared at Yerlunger, disgusted. You ate your own sisters? And your own sister's children? How could you do such a thing? said the first snake who had spoken. Yes, said the other snakes, how could you do that? You yourself made it a law that totemic serpents must not eat the serpent people, but you ate both the women and their children besides. 
Angry and ashamed, Yerlunger crashed his great body back down to the earth. Now, some say that he vomited up the women and their children right then and there, while others say he spat the women out in a different place where they turned to stones while keeping the children in his belly. But all agree that the women sent dreams to the wise men of their tribe, dreams that told their story and explained the songs, dances, and ceremonies that must be done in their honor. And this is how Gerangle and Boalir gave important knowledge to the serpent people. <laughs>